At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today we invite you to tune into our current series, Assembly Required, Building a Case for Church, where we'll see what the Psalms teach us about a life of faith lived in community. So when I was a wee little boy, um, probably a little bit bigger than, than most of these, not, not tons bigger, but y'all know I grew up in Oklahoma. And growing up in Oklahoma, I know I shared this part of the story before, but my mama would always look at me in the summer and she would say, Billy, you're soaking up too much air conditioner. And I don't know what that means, but I knew what she wanted me to do. She wanted me to get out of her house, right? I was just a dirty kid. And so she'd be like, go outside and play. So like in the summertime, I was not allowed in the house. I had to be outside playing. So you entertain yourself when you're in Oklahoma. You climb a tree, you ride your bike normally it ended in a baseball game, but not like probably what you're thinking. Like we would play like with a real baseball because it, you know, it makes your glove pop real cool and everything. That never lasted long because it started to hurt your hand. I'm kind of a baby like that. You know, it started to hurt my hand. So I'd be like, we're going to switch and we pull out a tennis ball because when you take an aluminum bat and you hit that tennis ball, it goes for like a quarter mile. Like you can smash a tennis ball. And so you always felt like, I don't know, you always felt so tough when you just like crank the tennis ball and off it would go. It's, anyway, we would just play for hours and then, or we'd play hide and seek or whatever. And then mom would yell, like you just, it didn't matter where in the neighborhood you were at. If mom yelled, you stopped, you dropped everything and you ran for the house. Cause like, if you don't, she's going to get mad. So you get home and you walk in the door and me again, I was a dirty boy. So I had like dirt sweat. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you got streaky dirt sweat. And I would get this thing right here. I don't know what you call it, but it's where you get like a dirt neck. Y'all ever had a dirt neck? So like as a kid, it's like every day, dirt neck. And so mom would look at me. You could smell dinner like it's ready. But she would always say, Billy, go wash up. See, you were in my house. Go wash up. She wouldn't let me anywhere near the table like that, right? Go wash up. So I'd run in the bathroom, dirty boy, turn on just a little bit of water. I'd do that and turn it off and like do this to my face, and I'd walk in. She'd look at me, and she, you know, she'd do that kind of a thing because like I guess I was just a muddy mess now, and she'd be like, no, go wash up for real. And so I'd go in, now I'm soap even, you know, and so I'm washing, and I'm doing this to my face, and I wash my dirt neck, you know, and then I'm looking at the sink, so now I got to clean out the sink because, man, if I would have left the sink like that, she would have been mad, you know, so wash out the sink, and then I go in and I sit down, and when I sit down at the table, the food's there, it's steamy. My mouth is watering because I've been not soaking up the air conditioner for hours now. And I'm sitting there looking at this food. I didn't touch the food. No, if I, if I would have touched that food, my mama, she would have, it, it just would not have been good, right? And so I didn't touch food. You have to sit there because she's still serving everyone up. And then mom would sit down. After mom would sit down, then we would all pray. Then it was okay to eat. They never talked about why, why they wanted me to wash up. Never told me why. It didn't matter. She said to wash up. That's what she did. They never told me why I don't touch my food. I just learned early on, don't touch it, right? I just learned. And so they never talked about why. I just knew our ritual, if you will. And kids, you guys are the same, right? You know at dinner time there's certain rules. How many of you right now, even downstairs in the overflow room, how many of you, you still kind of do dinner as a family? Raise your hand. If you're like, family dinner, yeah, that's what we do. We sit down at the table. All right, most, most in this room, 
your hands went up. And so kids, there's rules. You know, you know, like either you have to put the plate on the table or fill all the glasses with water or just wash up. Like, you know, though, there's something that you're expected to do. Adults, I want you to think back to when you were a kid. There were rules. The rules didn't even need said. You just knew the rules, didn't you? We oftentimes know the ritual, but we don't always understand the why. That's why I love this sermon series, because we are talking a lot about why. Take your Bibles. Let's open up to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, this is the last week of our sermon series called Assembly Required, which means next week we're starting a brand new sermon series. And I would argue that this sermon series we've been in and the next one we're going into cover two of the most important things that we do as Christians. And that is meet together in the large congregation and meet together in life groups. That's what we're talking about this sermon series and the next one. Also next week is baptism service. I am pumped about that. It has been months and months and months and months since we've had baptisms. So I am so excited about next week. You won't want to miss it. So why do we do it? Well, we've been looking at the book of Psalms for our answer. And what we've discovered is we meet together as a congregation because that's our opportunity to open the word of God. Right? We meet together as a congregation because it's a a reminder of here's God's ways and here's what we're doing in our faith and our actions should align with each other. That's where our joy comes from. We meet together because we sing his praises together. You can't sing praises together. Otherwise, we meet together for today's big idea. We gather to testify about God's deliverance. We gather to testify about God's deliverance. And I think that was one of the most challenging things about the whole stay-at-home thing. Yeah, you could still listen to the sermon, and we could still sing songs and do all that. You could not testify to one another about God's deliverance like we are called to do. Which, just for a moment, everyone downstairs and all of you, I need to call a quick timeout just for a moment. I need to talk straight to the people who are watching on Facebook Live this morning or to those who are listening on iTunes. I want to talk just straight to you for a moment. Some of you, I know I've said it before and I want to say it again. Some of you, you are in an at-risk category or you right now, you're caring for someone in an at-risk category. I just want to encourage you. It's not sinful for you to stay home and participate online. It's not. I want to give you full permission, full blessing. It is okay for you to stay safe, keep yourself healthy, keep your family healthy. But... I want to talk to everyone else watching online this morning because there's a group of you right now, you're in your pajamas and you're slurping up Cheerios and you're going, how did he know? I know, I know what you're doing. And so I just want to encourage you, stop it, get to church. What are you doing? So here's the thing is we come up with all kinds of excuses why we can't go. Let me get closer. I need to get closer so y'all can see me here. There are some of you, seriously, that what happened during the stay-at-home thing is you started to like it. You're like, I can wake up 10 minutes before church starts. I'm wearing my Snoopy pajamas. I can go into the living room. My dog's right here. I'm scratching his head. Maybe you're doing your toenails or something. I don't know what you're, you know, and you just, you're, but you're like, I'm relaxed. Like, it's okay. And we just hang out and eat breakfast and watch church and all as well. And I just... I want to tell you it's time for you to come back 
to church. It's time for you to come back. And there's a few things you need to know. We do have every other row taken out. I want you to know that. We spray everything down between services. I want you to know that. People are masked when they come in until they get to their seat. There's two seats. There's two seats between families. Those chuckling are learning that there's two seats between families. For the first time, they ever heard that. So two seats between uh, families. We have two overflow rooms open. So if there's an area that you're uncomfortable, there's other spaces that you can go to. But right now, if you allow your kids to get together with other groups of kids, if you're inviting people over to your house for burgers and brats, even though you're spaced, right, if they're coming over and hanging out with you and you're going to work already and you're, you're, you're going to the grocery store, you're heading to Meijer and you're going to Lowe's and Home Depot and basically you're living your same exact life, just you ain't going to church except sitting at home on Sunday mornings, I want to tell you it is time for you to come back. We need you back to church because it is at this place that we testify together of God's deliverance in our lives. And so we talked uh, with the kids just a second. Ago. Oh, that's one other thing. If you're watching and you're going, but I have kids. Yes. Did you see all the kids up here? Lots of people have kids. It happens in America. Like people have kids sometimes. And so bring your kids. Every service is a family service. It's okay to come. So testify. To testify means we're back now. Testify means that you're going to tell the truth about what you have seen and heard, right? That's what to testify is. So we're going to testify here that God is our rock. Look at your Bible, Psalm 40, starting in verse 1. Psalm 40, real fast. I do love you all, like just so you know. I hope that didn't sound mean, but I, I do want you to know my heart. Like I do want you back to church. Like it, unless you really need to be home, we understand. Like come on back. So Psalm 40, starting in verse 1. I waited patiently, this is David writing, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So David starts out by saying, I waited for the Lord. Waited really should be translated, I waited and I waited and I waited for the Lord. You ever been there? Like I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And he says, then he inclined to me and he heard my cry. Here's the reality. Some of you today, you know that feeling of the pressure of I'm praying and I'm waiting and I'm praying and I'm waiting and I'm not seeing anything and I'm not hearing anything. Now, some of you, you're like, I really haven't had any challenges in life. My life has been great so far. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you, hold on. And I want you to be aware that there are people around you right now in your circle of influence that you love, that you care about. And they're in this spot right this second where they're going, I'm, I'm waiting and I'm praying and I'm waiting and I'm praying and my patience is starting to wear thin. And David says, that's when the Lord inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. This pit of destruction, this miry bog, these are illustrations for death right here. And he doesn't mean like literal death. It's not like, you know, I was on my deathbed and it was really. No, it's not like that death. This is more like 
the world is pressing on me to the point. Did you see Myri Bog? This is pressing on me to the point that I feel like I've got mud up to my thigh and like I, I can barely move. Like it is just pressing on me so hard. And it's in that Myri Bog that the Lord pulled me up. Are you seeing this imagery? He pulled me up and he set my feet upon a rock, making a step secure. Not that he would fall back into his old self. He said he gave me a new song in my mouth that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, which I'll come back to. First, that rock portion. Again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, we see in the book of Psalms specifically, we see this pointing to the rock. Psalm 18, the Lord is my rock. And my fortress, Psalm 62, God alone is my rock. Psalm 92, 15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. See, the problem is, oftentimes in our prayers, we want the Lord to put our feet upon these things that we think are solid that are not solid. Does that make sense? Lord, will you put my feet upon this better job, upon this promotion, upon this money, upon this friend, upon this relationship? Upon... Isn't that what we do? And so what we do is we say, well, my job, my job is solid. My job is good. Yeah, until COVID hits and you get laid off and then it's not solid anymore. My friends, my friends are solid. Yeah, until they got laid off. So they're moving to Texas, right? They're out of here. Until You see what we do? So oftentimes the thing that we think we're craving in life is shifting sands. The thing that we think that we're craving in life is ever changing. And what he says here is that's not where the Lord put my feet. He put my feet upon this firm foundation. Now let's go back. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. We gather to testify to God's deliverance which is natural for us. To testify is natural for us. Think about it. Here's what we do is we'll watch a TV show. We'll watch something like The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, watch The Chosen. Did you see what I just did? That's what we do. Here's a television show I watched, and this one surprised me. This one was actually good. You should watch it because I watched it, right? Or we'll say, hey, here's a song, and we'll send out the song. Check out this song, and we'll share it with a friend. Here's a restaurant I tried. This restaurant was closed, and now it's reopened. Everybody go check out this restaurant. It's what we do. The sports team, man, the Yankees, you know, they, not the Yankees. We're in the wrong place for the Yankees, right? So, yeah, you guys didn't laugh. If I would said the Buckeyes, yeah, see, every time when you say the Buckeyes around here, it's kind of like a cheap laugh. But anyway, here's what we hope. We hope that all of a sudden that friend does watch that show. And they say, hey, I watched it. That was incredible. I tried that restaurant. You're right. It was so good. I listened to the song. Man, it made my heart soar. This picture of the Lord was incredible. Your joy in that moment grows because someone else experienced the same joy. I want you to know that our worship to the Lord is so much greater than can be compared to anything else. That when we come together and we testify together to his deliverance. It magnifies our joy in the Lord as we come together. That's what happens. It's almost like the Lord saying, I, I am healing you. I'm answering your prayer because I want you to tell others what I did. Because when you tell others what I did, maybe they're going to have the same trust and same faith. And now we've got multiple people celebrating. So what do we testify? We testify 
that God multiplies his favor. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And then look at the shift here. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds, your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. So the writer here, David, is overwhelmed with, with the goodness of God towards his people. He says, you multiplied your great works. And then he says, I'll proclaim and tell it to others. But there's so many that you can't even count them, right? There's so many you can't count them. I think one of the most challenging conversations that I, I have with people as a pastor is when I have people who come up to me and say, yeah, I just, here's the thing. I haven't seen God's goodness on me. I just, I haven't seen his graciousness. And normally those individuals will say, I, I see it over there. You see where that person was sick and now they're not sick. I see how God was good to them. Or this person over here, like they were laid off, now they have a job. I see how God was good to that person. Or that relational thing over there, God was good over there, but I don't know that God has ever been good to me. I, I don't know, just something I struggle with. Here's the thing. You have had this conversation countless times in your life. Probably they said it a little bit different than that. There's a hundred ways you could say that. But basically what they're saying is, you know, why did the bad things happen? And I, I don't know that I felt God do anything good in my life. Guys, you cannot have this conversation without talking about Jesus. To me, that's where the conversation naturally has to go. It has to go to Jesus. And I want to show you, here's how you can answer the question. As you're answering the question, you say, yeah, God, God chose the Hebrew people, didn't he? He chose the Hebrew people. He poured out his goodness on them. They were slaves, and God brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Seas. I mean, talk about incredible. Parted the Red Sea so that the Hebrew people could walk through on dry ground. And the waters come crashing down, killed Pharaoh's soldiers. Like, I mean, it was amazing. And then they were on their way to the promised land, and God sent manna, daily bread for them to eat. He is so good. Provided daily everything they needed. The walls, man, the walls of fortresses stacked against them couldn't stand. They just came toppling down. God's so good to the Hebrew people. But not just the Hebrew people, because when Jesus came, he came for one and for all, for the for the Jew and for the Gentile. We are part of that. And the incredible gospel news is you don't get right with God by trying to be good enough or follow a certain set of rules. You are made right with God because of his grace through faith that Jesus is Lord. And see, when you get that, the shower of God's goodness just comes flooding over you. And you start to experience and see his goodness like maybe you'd never seen before. And so if, if you're that person today, or if you're downstairs and you're that person today, I want you to know that if you're sitting there saying, I've never experienced God's goodness, that my hope is that today you'll place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because when you do that, you understand that you are forgiven, that you are a new creation, that we have salvation because of faith in Christ Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Verse 6 says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you've given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Verse 7, but then I said, behold, 
I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. So there's this play on the word delight. Do you see that? He starts by saying, here's what the Lord does not delight in. He does not delight in the sacrifices, which is interesting because this is a sacrificial system that exists at this time, right? There's a sacrificial system in place. And time and time in the Old Testament that he says he doesn't delight in the sacrifices, but then David gets it, doesn't he? And he says, what I delight in, you don't delight in sacrifices. What I do delight in is I delight in doing your will. That's what I delight in. And so if sacrifice is part of it, then I'm delighted to do it, right? But I am delighted to do your will. Does that make sense? Mm, kind of. How about this? Go back to the dinner table idea. Think about, you know, everybody's washed up. You're coming to the dinner table. But let's say there's one person who's got a bad attitude. Chip on the shoulder. I promise this is not a story from my family from this week. This is this is a made-up story, completely made-up story. But let's say one person, doesn't matter adult or child, takes the chair and goes, bam, sits down in it and huffs up like a bullfrog. <sighs> they are doing one of those. You can imagine this, right? I mean, they're just huffing up. They're pouting. They're grumpy. They're, they're just fussy. And then they pull out their cell phone. And they start, they start doing this. Right? They're just doing this. And I don't know what they're looking at. Facebooking or Twittering or Snapchatting or Instagramming or, I, I don't know, TikToking. Whatever. They're just doing this, right? They're doing it and they're, they're, they got the stink face going, you know, and they're just grumpy. And then someone says, hey, we're about to start dinner. Could you please put your phone away? And they go, <sighs> picture that. Family dinner ain't going to work today, is it? It's never going to work. Why? Because it was never intended that you just get the dirt off your hands and sit at the table. That's not really the expectation, is it? The expectation is we're all going to come together with our hearts joined together. And when we do that, it is so fun. It is such a joy when we do it that way, isn't it? I mentioned this last week, but it is a joy to be your pastor for that reason. This Honest to goodness, this is a congregation where all of you, we're all over the place with all of our thoughts and opinions and everything else, and yet everyone kind of takes any entitlement and they just kind of check it at the door. Anything that you expect that like this is what I expect that should be done, you just kind of check it at the door. And everyone comes in with such a selfless posture, such a gracious posture with me, with each other, and it just makes this church family thing, a whole lot of fun, doesn't it? In fact, it takes us to this place where we say, like the writer says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. This is so important. So let's read verses 9 through 11. I've told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I've not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord, I've not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I've spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So remember, we gather 
to testify of God's deliverance. One of the things we do every week, I know I've mentioned it, but as a staff team, most weeks we start with God's stories, meaning we don't get into the agenda till every single person in that staff meeting, including interns, everyone has to share a God story. Here's where I've seen the Lord moving this week. Here's something I saw happen that can only be explained by the Lord. This is the only way it can be explained was the Lord. And you know what no one has ever tried to do? No one has ever tried to say, oh yeah, the um, yeah, thing I mentioned last week, I just want to, yeah, I want th- that one's the same, you know, which I'd said the week before and the week before. And basically something that happened six months ago, but I, I don't have nothing new. No one ever says that. That's not an option. Weekly. We're expecting the Lord to do incredible things, and we're on the lookout for it. That's what happens. Do you see what he said? He said, I have told the glad news of deliverance and the great congregation. When you come in here, show up a little bit early. And if you've ever come in here and you felt lonely, my challenge to you is do this. And look at whoever's sitting there. Maybe you don't know him. Say, hey, my, my name's Billy. What's your name? And then just say, so Billy was talking about that whole deliverance thing. It's kind of been a challenging week. Has there been anything cool that you've seen God do this week? I'd love to hear it. And you know what I found is people will share those stories. If you've ever tried to get to me after service and you're like, there always seems to be a a thing and everybody's always talking. This is what people are sharing with me every week. They're sharing God's stories. Here's what the Lord is doing. It is awesome. And I want to testify to this. I want to tell you what I've seen and heard and experienced. This is what I'm part of. Behold, I've not restrained my lips. Now, there's an interesting connection here between the writer's behavior and God's demonstration of his faithfulness. Look at... um, Again, his behavior, he says, I've not hidden, restrained, or concealed God's faithfulness and love from the great congregation, but look at what God has done. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love, your faithfulness will ever preserve me. God is faithful. God is faithful with his mercy. And you see, sometimes I think that we're we act like we should go from victory to victory to victory to victory to victory. There should never be challenges in the Christian life. That's not real. Real is sometimes there's mountaintop experiences, right? Like Moses on the mountaintop. Church, he didn't stay there. He then went down into the valley. And isn't it true that life is lived somewhere between the mountaintop and the valley most times? Most of life is spent somewhere in here. And what this says is, no matter where I am, I will continue to testify of his goodness and his greatness. Unfortunately, I think it's too easy for us to, um, to miss coming together as a congregation. We make excuses, don't we? All kinds of excuses. We say, well, you know, I got a house project. You know, I got that deck I got to work on. If I went to church, that'd be a whole hour that I couldn't work on my deck. You know, I don't think I can do it today. Or I've... I've I've had people say this out loud, like they didn't think, but they said it out loud. They said, Sunday's my only day to sleep in. This service starts at 1030. How much sleeping in you need, (laughs) right? How much sleeping in? We don't start till 1030, but people will say like, it's my only day to sleep in. They'll say, I don't know, there's a big game, like during the Super Bowl, that's always the thing. There's a big game today. And I'm like, doesn't that game start like at 630 or something? Like, what do you... 
what are you doing at, you know, 1030 in the morning? Like, what are you doing that is so necessary? Well, I got to soak my wood chips. We got to smoke some wings today. So we come up with all these excuses of why we can't be part of the congregation. This is so important. And in fact, I would say we rob God if we don't show up. And I'm not talking about twice a year we do vacation. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about I'm sick. I'm not talking about I'm at risk. That's not, I mean just a regular, normal, today is Sunday. It's a day for us to gather. We rob God. When, we rob, when I say rob God, a lot of people think tithes and offerings because we're supposed to take our first 10% set aside for gospel ministry. But I firmly believe with everything in me that when we don't gather, we are robbing God. Because again, what happens when we start to share our testimony of his deliverance? I cannot tell you how many stories I heard just after the first service of all the people wanting to share testimony and all the stuff. And I'm telling you, it fires me up. Like, it is awesome. We have to continue to meet, to testify of what God is doing. So when I was 19 years old, I had gotten to church growing up. You know, I'd served as an altar boy. I had, um, it's kind of funny, but I, I had. Like, I'd been, um, I, I'd gone to a church, but I'd never done anything like gone to Amy's church. So when I was 19, I went to her church for the first time, and it freaked me out, y'all. Because, like, the whole choir thing was happening, and when the music started, people started, like, clapping their hands while they're singing, and I stuffed mine in my pocket, and I started to sweat, thinking, you can't do that in church, clapping your hands. Like, I, I was so uncomfortable, and um, then people turned, and they started to talk to each other, like, out loud. They were talking to each other out loud in church, and again, it freaked me out. Like, it totally freaked me out inside, but I kept coming. Like, Sunday after Sunday, because I really liked her, so Sunday... <laughs> After Sunday, I was going to church, and I would sit on the very back row. So those of you who are back, that's where I used to sit. I would sit, you know what's going to happen soon, though. It's going to. So I'd sit on the back row, arms crossed, but here's what happened. I was listening to the pastor. Then all of a sudden, I started paying a whole lot of attention to the congregation. And I wanted to find out, like, who actually shows up? Who's, are these the same people I saw last week? Because after a few weeks, you start to kind of figure out who's who. And Amy grew up in this church, so she kind of knew everybody. But I started to pay attention who's who and who actually believes this stuff. And then I'm telling you, here's what happened. As I was watching these people, I realized there's something different. The way they treat each other, the way they treat their pastor, the way that they're interacting, the way that they are treating God. They know something I don't know. I've heard about Jesus growing up, but they know something I don't know. And they've experienced something I haven't experienced. And such an important part of my faith story was sitting on that back row, watching the entire church and watching how the body of Christ functioned together. When we come together so much more than let's sing a few songs and open the Bible and check the box and go to lunch. It is so, so much more than that. This is where we testify to God's deliverance in our lives. The final thing that we see is we pray that God would keep us testifying. In verse 12, for evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. 
Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. And, and so what happens is interesting turn. Most psalms start with petition and then with praise. Lord, here's what I'm asking for. And you are great and mighty and wondrous. And I know that you can do this. That's how most psalms work. But this one is flip-flopped. I just want you to notice that real quick. Look at verse 13. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Make haste, meaning I'm trusting that you're going, you haven't, that you're going to do this. This is all the way verse 13, but look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. It's already done. See how it's flip-flop there? Both of these responses, though, take us to verse 16. Verse 16 says, may those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. That's where the Psalms take us. They take us and point us to this place of salvation. Our salvation, which comes only through faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. So 19 years old, 19 years old, I started going to this church with Amy, sitting on the back row, giving an ugly face to everybody, leaving last song. You know, last song's not over. I'm sneaking out real quick. I'm so uncomfortable. After two years, it took me a while. I was a slow learner, right? After two years of watching this church and getting to know people and observing, here's what happened. I started going to church even on Sunday nights. Like I went all the time at this point, learning and seeking. The pastor would always give this invitation, this opportunity to follow Jesus, and my stomach would do flip-flops, but I would think to myself, wait 30 seconds, he'll hush up and we can be done. Like just ignore everything that's happening. Some of you know that feeling. Like you're trying to ignore it, you try, and finally... That's later. So one Sunday night, I have not placed my faith in Jesus yet. I'm on the back row, and this woman gets up with her husband on a Sunday night to give a testimony. She's going to testify of God's deliverance in her life, and here's what she said. This is a smaller group because it's Sunday night. She said, friends, I just wanted to give you an update on my health. Some of you know, but most of you don't. The doctor said that the cancer's back. And when I heard that, I thought, well, this isn't my normal church testimony that I'm used to hearing. So I kind of lean forward in my chair. I'm listening at the pew at the time. I'm leaning forward in the pew. I'm listening. And she said, and the doctor says that there's nothing they can do about it. And I watched this woman's hand as it was shaking as she reached out to grab her husband's hand. Everything flooding through my head, just thinking, what in the world am I listening to? This little 21-year-old brain. I'm trying to process everything. And then here's what she said, and this rocked me. She said, but my, my friends, I know that I'm here because God has a purpose for me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here anymore. I'd be with him face to face. God has a plan for me. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to keep talking about his goodness and his grace in his mercy, he is my heavenly father, and Jesus has rescued and saved me. So I'm not afraid. 
pastor got up a little bit later, did an invitation again. I'm like, just 30 seconds, I can get out of here. But let me fast forward to the next Easter. The next Easter when the pastor gave the invitation. There's no way I could run anymore. I was done. I was done running. And back in those days, you had to walk down front, but I was in the choir loft, so I had to walk down the stairs to come down front. And I just told the pastor, I finally get grace. I finally understand the grace of Jesus in my life. I want to surrender to the Lordship of Christ right here, right now. And I want to tell you what's incredible. is when that service ended, on that Easter morning, this was a church like, small church, 250 people or something. It was a little church. But I'm telling you, for about 45 minutes, I had to stand there because there were old ladies that were wrapped around, clear outside, and one by one, I've never been so humbled in my life. They all came up, hugged my neck, and kissed my cheek, and they just said, Billy, look at me right now. I've been praying for you for years. We've been watching you. We've been praying for you, and we celebrate God's goodness. We celebrate freedom in Christ. I wouldn't have happened at home slurping up Cheerios in my pajamas. We need each other. We are part of echoing this testimony that will continue for eternity, that our God is great and salvation comes only through Christ Jesus. And maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you've never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. You've heard this kind of a talk before, but you've ignored it. I want to give you the same invitation I had because I had never experienced love like that before. I'd never experienced grace like that before to really understand that no matter what I had done, that God loved me and sent Jesus for me. And because of my faith in Christ, I was washed clean. Do you understand that? Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're washed as white as snow. So why not today? Why not today be the day that you surrender to Jesus? Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the church. We thank you for the beauty of the church. Lord, we're not perfect. We're such a mess sometimes. And yet you love us and you're patient with us and you show us grace. God, I thank you specifically for this church. For the men, for the women, for the kids who call this place home for the way that we process who Jesus is. White robe, red belt, and all. Lord, we just love you and we thank you for the opportunity to sharpen each other, to know you more, and to make you known. Still with heads bowed, I just want to give you the chance because some of you, again, you've run and run and run your whole life from this moment. But yet, when you think back on your life, there's so many times that you could not be here today because things happen. And yet, here you are, right here, right now. You are not here on accident. God has brought you here for this moment. I want you to know the truth that God loves you completely. Nothing that you've ever done would ever erase the fact that He loves you. But that sin, that's what that's called, is sin. When you've messed up, when you've done wrong, you and I, we have sinned. We're not perfect. 
that sin has a punishment. That punishment is eternal separation from our Heavenly Father. That's why Jesus came. He did what you and I could not do. He lived the perfect and sinless life. And when he was crucified, no one took Jesus' life. He gave it freely as a ransom for you and for me. And we can have a right standing with God by placing our faith and our trust and our hope in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so if that's you, I just want you to pray with me and just say, God, thank you for loving me. Even though I'm a mess, even though I'm a sinner, God, you love me. Lord, I believe that Jesus came and lived a perfect and sinless life, that he was crucified to pay for my sins on the cross. I believe that that wasn't the end of the story because he rose from the dead on that third day, that he conquered sin, he conquered death. So today I'm placing my faith and my trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to be part of this testimony that will continue for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.